With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. My name is Spencer Walsh. And we are live today, 1 p.m. start time. A little bit rare for us, but it's cool now. Breaking news just in our studios. Mike Pompeo has been confirmed as Secretary of State. What does he first do? Flies to Europe. We'll take a look at the confirmation process and the long road ahead. Also this morning, the White House has withdrawn Ronnie Jackson in his nomination for the VA as chief uh, for VA chief amid some pretty rapid criticism. Uh, we will take a look at what's going on with that. And also, Jill Stein defies Senate intelligence document request, calling it, quote-unquote, overboard. So, she is under investigation by the Russians, and we'll see what happens, what comes out of that. But it should be very interesting uh, to see how she handles that uh, uh, ongoing investigation. All right, so now we take you to Washington, D.C., where we have had some Breaking news. Uh, just a few moments before we went on air, just about five minutes ago, uh, it's just been confirmed that uh, the Senate on Thursday has confirmed Michael Pompeo as the nation's 70th Secretary of State, elevating the current CIA director and an outspoken uh, foreign policy hawk to pretty much inexplicably be the nation's top diplomat. He, he does not have any dip, uh, dipl- diplomatic experience. He is not uh, familiar with this. Uh, but instead, if you look at some of his positions in the past, it's very, very worrying uh, about what he thinks he is, like the position he thinks he is in. It's very strange uh, what exactly is going on there with uh, Mike uh, Pompeo. Uh, Pompeo was expected to be sworn in almost immediately after the vote, after which he planned to fly to Joint Base Andrews, where a plane was waiting to fly him to Brussels uh, on his first trip abroad as Secretary of State for a meeting of NATO allies. So, um, yeah, the NATO's, uh, he's going to meet up with NATO. But, I mean, I've done this, I know I've done this a few times before on the show. I'm just, all you got to do is type in Google Mike Pompeo. And I'm pretty sure I literally did it like three days ago. But I'm going to do it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it again. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to put it in. He is going to, all you got to do, Mike Pompeo, Wikipedia, um, Political positions. Just put it in. And none of these seem like they would be any use in diplomacy. He's just not that kind of person. I just does not make any... Uh, it doesn't make any sense to really imagine why he would be in that position. Uh, he says he supports the NSA surveillance. 
uh, we've spied on literally the uh, we've literally spied on the woman. Uh, we've we've used that exact program to spy on uh, the woman Mike Pompeo is currently flying to Europe to meet with Angela Merkel of Germany, among others, with the with the NATO meeting. Um, yeah. Um, in the 2013 speech on the House floor, Pompeo said Muslim leaders who failed to denounce acts of terrorism done in the name of Islam are potentially complicit in the attacks. So that, like, that's his position on that there. Uh, in prisons, uh, uh, he opposes closing Guantanamo, Guantanamo Bay detention camp. I mean, that's not obviously, that's not a rare position for Republicans, but he is not one of those diplomatic people. He's definitely not one of the most diplomatic people. He supports regime, regime chains. Regime change. He supports uh, um, uh, getting rid of the Iran deal. He supports, and that's uh, speaking of which, that's gonna, that's not gonna be something many diplomats are going to like because his predecessor, uh, his predecessor, at least in the last administration, John Kerry did that deal. Um, in addition. He has uh, edged toward regime change in that region. So, um, in November 2015, Pompeo visited Israel and said that uh, Benjamin Netanyahu is a partner of the American people. Um, he's very pro-Israel, but not surprising. Uh, during his confirmation hearing, Pompeo stated that Russia. This is for the. Um, this is for uh, not the. This is for uh, the CIA confirmation hearing. Just to clarify, uh, he also stated that. Um, Russia had reasserted itself aggressively, invading and occupying Ukraine, threatening Europe, and doing nearly nothing to aid in the destruction and defeat of ISIS. Pompeo includes, uh, also accused President Obama of inviting Russia to Syria, and he also um, called WikiLeaks a non-state hostile intelligence service. Uh, you know, he also described Julian Assange as a narcissist, fraud, and coward, um, and he also believes Edward Snowden should be given a death sentence. And he's he's pretty much one of those we're, we're one of the worst people. It's a long list of people that I could be going long, long list of awful things that I could be going down that he has said in the past, and it's just not good stuff at all. It's really cringeworthy stuff, is what it is. Uh, so, yeah, um, his agenda is already packed. Though he has crucial deadlines in the coming weeks involving Russia, North Korea, Syria, and Venezuela, and he must face these challenges while trying to repair a State Department damage on the tenure of Rex Tillerson. I'm sure he's gonna. I'm sure that's going to be the first thing he's going to do. Mike Pompeo, the small government Tea Party conservative, is going to jump to fill all those positions right back up in the State Department. Calling me surprised if he does anything of that sort. Um, senators were pretty mindful of the need to get Pompeo in place, given the crush of work facing him. His confirmation seemed all but assured after Heidi Camp, Heidi Camp of North Dakota, a Democrat who's running for re-election in the state, uh, Trump won handily, said last week she was supportive. On Monday, uh, two other moderate Democrats who are running for re-election states won by Trump senators Joe Manchin and Joe Donnelly of West Virginia and Indiana also pledged support for their nominations. Progressive Democrats all over the country should really, at this point, in my opinion, be taking some notes about what is going on here. This is just not acceptable behavior from a Democrat. You just can't come in there and support. You can't. You, it's not okay to come in there and support a awful, awful. Uh, dictator person like uh, uh not dictator person uh someone someone who is so contradictory like he, i mean i get i get supporting middle of the road kind of guy i mean i even kind of get supporting rex tillerson but the fact is that they were so planning to get a uh, vote against him and so and he didn't have even all the backing of some republicans 
uh, that was pretty much, he, he would not have gotten through. And if the Republicans don't want to vote for him, then you shouldn't, as a self-respecting Democrat, you should not want to vote for him either. So there that, there that is. It, it's just not okay. Uh, anyway, yeah, it's just really quite astounding that that is, that is occurring. Um, yeah, so, yeah, they all voted for him. Um, a vote against Pompeo could have exposed them to attacks from Republicans, including Mr. Trump, eager to label them obstructionists. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure if, I'm sure, like, you remember what happened? Remember? St- I'm going to take you back here. State of the Union, 2017. Uh, or was it 2018? I don't know. I think it was 2018. 2018. Joe Manchin, a lone red face in a sea of blue. Oh, wait, he's also a Democrat, too, but that's that's not the point. Stands up and claps for President Trump on multiple lines, multiple times where uh, all the Democrats are turning down, but the good old, uh, the good old uh, uh, Joe Manchin, he is standing up and giving applause with all the rest of the Republicans on uh, various lines about uh, small government, stuff like that. Um, I mean, Mike Pence, Donald Trump, they, they got to be pretty pleased about that, right? Well, one week later, uh, Mike Pence rolls on into West Virginia, makes a pretty epic speech against um, uh, against uh, Joe Manchin, one of the few times actually raised his voice and nails him for being what? A Democratic obstructionist. That's what happens. That's what happens. That's why playing with Republicans, playing along with the Republicans, voting for the Republicans never works because, spoiler alert, you're going to get attacked anyway. As long as you call yourself a Democrat, you're going to get attacked every single solitary day of the week from Republicans. If you're in the fray, if you're in that group of people, you're going to be all right. But uh, that is the, uh, that's the problem. So Pompeo also managed to avoid what had been an embarrassing rebuke on his way into the new post as Senate Foreign Relations Committee had seemed likely not to recommend his confirmation, Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky, an outspoken foe of his interventionist foreign policy, relented just before the committee's vote on Monday, receiving, as Sharon says, that uh, he would not come in and change his mind, uh, Pompeo would. Uh, as Secretary of State, Pompeo will also have to na- navigate the rivalries within the Trump administration. At the White House, John Bolton, the administration's third national security advisor in a little over a year, is presiding over another purge of top assistance. Pompeo must forge a working relationship with Bolton as he creates alliances with the White House Chief of Staff, uh, Kelly, and the Defense Secretary, Jim Mattis, as well as the President's son-in-law and top advisor, Jared Kushner. By the way, where has he been? I've not seen him anywhere in the news coverage or... At- Oh, he is just out of there. Um, Pompeo's early military career as he attended West Point and became a tank commander before leaving for Harvard Law School could endear himself to Kelly and Mattis, both former four-star generals and, and the media who, like, they they literally start foaming at the mouth in joy and excitement and anticipation as soon as they see some sort of uh, a, a general come in to bring discipline and order. Oh, my God. It's the best. Uh, yeah. But handling Kushner will be a delicate matter. Kushner's diplomatic portfolio includes forging a Middle East peace deal and safeguarding the relationship with Mexico, even as Trump pursues his hardline immigration policies and wall on the southern border. 
Mike uh, Pompeo will also have to mend fences with the American ambassador to the U.N., Nikki Haley, whose relationships with Tillerson uh, were so strange, she ordered his portrait removed from her New York offices. So that, that that's fun. Um, she was uh, absent from this week's state dinner with uh, French President Emmanuel Macron, as she should have been, because Nikki Haley is pretty awful. I don't like her. I'm not a fan. I'm sorry. Um, but also, uh, Pompeo's... Um, year of service as the director of the CAA has kind of given him a running start. Um, he forged an unlikely bond with Mr. Trump while giving the president daily intelligence briefings. The trust became so strong that Trump, uh, Trump sent Pompeo to Pyongyang last month on a secret trip to pave the way for a high-stakes summit with the North Korean, Korean leader Kim Jong-un, now expected to take place in June. So he did do that. That is a good work, some good work of diplomacy. Uh, I've got to give him credit where credit's due. It's important that we have that, and that we don't have Donald Trump uh, on Twitter threatening war with North Korea like he has in in did. So, yeah, that's very, very encouraging. So, anyway, within hours of his landing in Europe, he will preside over a breakfast meeting at NATO headquarters to discuss new measures to counter an increasingly aggressive Vladimir Putin, who U.S. intelligence officials has say ordered the annexation of Crimea, Crimea intervention in Ukraine, the hacking of the American election in 2016, and murders or attempted murders of countless rivals, including a former Russian spy living in Britain. He has maintained his military and diplomatic support for the Syrian President Bashar al-Assad, despite the massacre of civilians and the use of chemical weapons. The gathering will thrust Pompeo into core contra- uh, contradiction of the Trump presidency, which is staffed, um, which is staffed with hawks pushing for an increasingly tough line against Moscow, but is headed. By a president who hopes to be improving times while he faces an investigation with Robert Mueller, the special counsel, to look into whether his campaign colluded with Russia during the 2016 election cycle. Um, so, yeah, there is. Yeah, there's a very that's a very interesting point there. that The New York Times in this report by The New York Times does make it's like he's in a contradiction there. Like you really wonder why he it's an it's important to realize as a Democrat, or just anyone who wants to observe politics correctly and get the true fact of the matter behind things, he is not pushing for these sanctions. If you notice these sanctions, he is—he has no interest in them. He—he um, he does have um, definitely a certain push. He—he um, he does have a certain push, a certain support group among. Um, a certain hawk base among his uh, there's the uh, there's Jim Mattis there's all the generals there's John Kelly he they probably they probably couldn't care less about uh, his wanting to soften ties they're conservatives they're neocons and they want to push hard for um, more direct and more aggressive ties to Russia that's just what they want to do that's kind of in their nature that's their DNA so that if you will so that is the that is the dilemma that they do have. Um, but, and, and then on the other side, there is, there is quite a lot of people who are, um, there are quite a lot of people who, uh, that also side with Trump, like maybe his closer advisors, maybe like a Jerry Kushner or somebody like that, who want to kind of keep ties the same. Well, Trump is obviously the biggest force in that desire, but he also did face Mike Pompeo. He did face some questions about it. Uh, the biggest questions came from Rand Paul and other Democrats about his foreign policy stance again, whether he want to intervene in certain places, how he would handle diplomacy with North Korea, 
and Iran and those places in the Middle East, he has said time and time again he wants to intervene in. Uh, yeah, the vote was 57 to 42. The president, uh, president Republicans approved Pompeo. In addition, Senator Angus King of Maine uh, announced his support, as have several Democrats, as we as we talked about Joe Manchin, Heidi Heitkamp, and Joe Donnelly. And guess what? Doug Jones of Alabama, the freshman senator, the true progressive. Oh, no, he's not. He's practically Republican. Uh, yeah. President Donald Trump fired his first Secretary of State Rex Tillerson in a Twitter message on March, and he tapped Pompeo to take the job. So, uh, yeah. Um, the Senate is supposed to next vote on Richard Grenell to be the next ambassador of Germany. So, there is that. Uh, yeah, so Pompeo's approved, and that said it was that. But up next, um, yeah, the uh, up next, though, for him, for Mike Pompeo, will be the Iran nuclear deal. It was struck by President Barack Obama and the leaders um, of Russia, Britain, France, Germany, and China, leaving the deal would further freight ties with Europe, but failing to scrap the deal would violate a core campaign pledge for Trump. He was a voluble, uh, Pompeo was a voluble uh, member of the Republican chorus opposing the pact, but in his confirmation hearing, po- Pompeo promised to try to preserve the accord. One of the several pledges he made were at odds with his two ter- with his record as a four-term Tea Party congressman, and maybe he- maybe he's growing up a little bit. Who knows? We'll see. But the important thing is to keep watching his pretty much his pretty much his every move here, as we continue. Uh, as we continue, move on here. Where where will he go? What will he do? How will he fall? I think that's going to be very important. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in a flash. Stay with us. gentlemen welcome back to today's show i'm gonna get right to it because we don't have that much we don't we don't got that much time to go uh, so it's going to be very important to keep pushing on here uh so the white house withdrew the nomination of ronnie l jackson the white house physician to lead the veterans affairs department on thursday after lawmakers went public with a torrent of accusations leveled against him by nearly two dozen current and former colleagues from the white house medical staff In a statement released Thursday, Dr. Jackson announced that he was withdrawing his name for consideration. Unfortunately, because of how Washington works and how your drinking habits work, mister, these false allegations have become a distraction for this president and uh, the the important issue we must be addressing. uh, How best we give the care to our nation's heroes. Dr. Jackson said in a statement publicly provided by the White House press office, the charges against him were completely false and fabricated. Um, So, uh, yeah, um... Also, Senate, uh, within minutes of the withdrawal, President Trump lamented the loss of his nomination and that Senator John Tester uh, would have a big price to pay. Uh, he's also of Montana. This is a pro-Trump sp- state for undercutting Jackson. So, 
He's an admiral. He's a highly respected and real leader. Trump said about Jackson in a telephone call to Fox and Friends. And then watch with John Tester of Montana, a state I won by like 20 points. They love me and I love them. I want to tell you, John Tester, this is what he said on Fox and Friends. I think this is going to cause him a lot of problems in his state. He's a man who took an incredible man, an incredible man, and smeared him. So, I mean, it's up to you guys. Can you disprove these allegations? The the ball right now is in Trump's court and the Republicans' court. If Dr. Ronnie Jackson is such a good, honorable, and serious and amazing man, why can't you disprove these allegations? I don't think it should be hard. I really do not think it should be hard to disprove these. Because, like, what is the... What is the problem? I don't I don't see a problem with these um uh I don't see a problem with this whole situation at all really. Um uh Trump sees these uh these are all false all accusations these are false. They're trying to destroy a man. Well, I mean there are a bunch of people speaking up. There's a bunch of people testifying. I mean maybe it's a, it's a it's a smear campaign. I don't know what it is, but it's up to them to prove it. I mean, they're they're putting up allegations they can't rebut with any real evidence other than just saying they're false, they're false, they're false, over and over and over again. And the Republicans, they kind of have to come and rebut this now because they can't, if they're saying it's not true, well, A, why'd you withdraw the nomination? And B, why are you saying it's not true if it's totally true? Like, Come in and rebut these if they're so not true and that they're so they're so hard to hard to believe they're so awful or or, or whatnot. So, uh-huh. so um, but even as the president was denying, uh, Doctor Jackson were was denying the accusations. New ones were coming in. Um, the question on Thursday was whether Jackson could continue, even in his role as the president's physician. One he has filed since 2013. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the White House press secretary, sent a statement. Um, doctor uh, uh, Jackson is a doctor at the United States Navy, assigned to the White House, and is here at work today. New York Times. The New York Times spoke with two former members of the White House medical office staff on Wednesday, both of whom described the culture under Jackson, where medications were freely distributed and lightly accounted for. They both said that they'd witnessed Doctor Jackson intoxicated during White House travel and said it was a regular occurrence especially while overseas as we talked about yesterday on the sh- yesterday on the show there was an instance where president Barack Obama called on him um to help him uh with some medical need and he was passed out drunk in his hotel room so Obama's aides just called him took the medicine out of the uh bags because they knew what he, he was looking for um and they went on their way didn't say anything i don't know why president obama didn't want to like disturb this and fire him which was, I mean, it would have been a scandal, but, and I know Obama doesn't like scandals, but still, that's pretty bad. Uh, a former, um, so yeah, he was even called, just based, just get this here. He was even called the Candyman. He, he got the nickname, literally, uh, the Candyman on how, um, based on how frequently he uh, distributed drugs. He was all over there with the ambient, with the sleep medication. Um, it was a very common occurrence, which was quite crazy. So both of the former officials New York Times talked to, this is again a New York Times report here, uh, both of the former officials separately told a standing, uh, were step, separately told of a uh, standing order to leave a bottle of rum and Diet Coke in Dr. Jackson's room on official travel. 
And both of them said they had been uncomfortable enough in Dr. Jackson's behavior to make complaints at the time uh, with the White House military office. Any records of such complaints were not immediately verifiable, and they requested an anonymity for fear of reprisals. So such reports have cast a negative light on not only the current White House vetting process, but on the Obama White House, which repeatedly promoted Dr. Jackson and recommended his advancement through the Navy's highest ranks. So he was very highly backed up and supported for some odd reason uh, by the Doctor Jack- uh, by the Obama White House. And even the current White House is a little bit strange vetting process, but the question is, why would this guy so thoroughly push through? I think the two big questions here are, A, are these accusations true? And B, what is the, what is the deal and how do you survive if they are true for this long? And and the other possible route is, if they're not true, then what was John Tester doing in the world but making these allegations up and lose people who came to him at the time? So, uh, yeah, Tester says, uh, sorry, Senator Johnny Isaacson says of Georgia, I want to thank the service members who spoke bravely out over the past couple of weeks. It's my constitutional responsibility to make sure the veterans of this nation get a strong, thoroughly vetted leader who will fight for them. The next secretary must have a commitment to reform a strained healthcare system and a willingness to stand up to special interests who want to privatize the VA. My sleeves are rolled up and ready to work with Chairman Isaacson to vet and confirm a secretary who is fit to run the VA. So, and that is Senator Tester speaking. Uh, but he is, um, he does like, he was, that was Senator Tester speaking of Chairman Isaacson there. So, yeah, he did not respond to the president's threat of that he's going to be in big trouble. He's a bad boy. Yeah, the White House initially moved to defend Jackson against what the officials called ugly abuse and false allegations. He indicated repeatedly in interaction with reporters that he intended to stay the course, but the nomination was clearly in peril when top senators on the committee announced they would postpone a confirmation hearing for Dr. Jackson scheduled for the next day pending further investigation. So that is a little bit worrying. I mean, this is not a big deal. This is not going to change the tide of history or whatever. But it's something really worth worrying about how this kind of guy was able to survive for this period of time in this White House and in the Obama White House as well uh, when he was doing this kind of stuff for this period of time and apparently had the interactions with Barack Obama that he had himself. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We will be back in a flash. This is Newsflash on SWRN. Welcome back today to another live episode of Newsflash. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Really appreciate it. And all right, we are down to our last epi- our last story of the day. And by the way, newsflash: we're going to have it continuing on for about. This is going to be our 171st episode, and we will have 200 episodes. You can do the math on that one. Obviously, it brings you to uh, about 29 more episodes until we. Uh, until we uh we are out of here for the summer, 
which is going to be fun. But I know that does bring us to not the summer, but uh, yeah, we will think about possibly doing ordering uh, 20 more episodes to the table, but yeah, that'll be consideration of time. We will keep you posted on that as well. So anyway, now we turn to the Senate Intelligence Committee. Jill Stein has defined the Senate Intelligence document request calling it overboard. The Intercept has reported the Jill Stein campaign is refusing to comply fully with a Senate Intelligence Committee request for documents and other correspondence made as part of a committee probe into Russian activities in the 2016 election, according to a letter to be delivered uh, Thursday to the panel by an attorney for the campaign. The Green Party will agree to turn over some documents but raised a con- uh, raised constitutional objections to the breadth of the inquiry, which was made uh, first made in November 2017, arguing the elements of it infringe on basic political rights enshrined by the First Amendment. So there, that's the uh, that's the problem here. Uh, we will see what they are on about. So, in a letter responding to Committee Chair Richard Burr of North Carolina, a Republican and Ranking Member Mark Warner. Sent the Steins campaign has now said it will refuse some of the request, calling it so overboard in reach uh, as to demand constitutionally protected uh, materials. Um, so uh, the letter is uh, the letter is uh, posted online, and it was provided to the Intercept by the Jill Stein campaign. And Mara Verheiden Hilliard of the Washington-based Partnership for Civil Justice Fund authored the letter and responded to six of the recipients uh, from the committee saying the comply would comply with some and not all of the orders uh, of the sorry the requests the six requests from the uh, committee. So, for instance, the committee asked for all communications between the campaign and Russian media organizations, their employees, or associates between February 6th, 2015 and present. Stein's campaign willingly provided those. The committee also asked for communications from the campaign's policy discussions regarding Russia during the same time frame. Verheiden Hilliard uh, wrote that based on the camp, the, the campaign will decline to produce these materials based on the constitutional privilege arising from the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. So also, uh, she also wrote that the campaign um, basic constitutional privilege. Um, she also wrote that the internal campaign communications of this nature are not pertinent to the subject of Russian interference in the elections. So, I mean, I, I know they obviously have a point there. They have a strong point that are probably they can do a good job of arguing in court. But it just, and I know a lot of this stuff surrounding her is a bunch of BS, but again, it looks really bad if you try to hide stuff like that, I mean, unless I mean, it looks like well, what it looks like is you're trying to hide something when you do it like that. But the the problem is there is really no winning for her on this. She can release it. Maybe I don't know why she wouldn't want to release those um, these uh, foreign policy discussions, campaign policy discussions regarding Russia at the same time. I mean, that's a lot. But uh, which is really quite crazy. Um, so the letter says if the investigators are interested in the campaign's foreign policy plans, uh, the Stein campaign is providing material related to those, and there was also additional material available publicly on the internet. So, um, yeah, they can get the foreign policy plans, but not just all the basic policy discussions. So, 
Maybe I mean I I can't think about what they'd be talking about in those policy discussions since they are policy discussions. Whether they would just not say what, whatever, just take them. It's not a big deal. But I mean I don't know. I mean if you give them everything and they still find nothing, point and laugh in their face and say you guys are a joke. You should be investing in Donald Trump and instead you're investing in a Green Party candidate who happened to sit next to a. Uh, uh, Vladimir Putin at a dinner. I don't think he even did that. She just sat next to someone at the same table as Vladimir Putin in a dinner at one point in RT in Russia. I mean, she gave an explanation for that, but I forgot it was. It was a pretty sound explanation, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, so Stein was also the party's presidential nominee in 2012. She traveled to Russia in 2015 and attended a dinner marking the 10th anniversary of RT. Uh, Putin, Vladimir Putin made an appearance at the event. And the committee also asked for communication related to any trips to Russia, including any discussion with Russian government officials, and the Stein campaign is willing to provide those. The request for all calls for all communications. Sorry, the request also calls for all communications with Russian persons or representatives of the Russian government, media, or business interests, including but not limited to any communications, discussions, or offers related to the opposition research from February 6, 2015, or present. So um, the Stein's campaign told The Intercept that they have already uh, worked, uh, already provided to the committee all communications with people affiliated with the Russian government and the media, but not with all people of Russian descent in some way, shape, or form. Uh, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's all Russian persons, I believe, is what it is. So, yeah, it seems to be quite a lot, to say the least. Uh, but, yeah, there is that whole situation. So, yeah, we will, uh, we will be uh, looking into that. That's that's going to be something worth following. But because if she is transparent here, and they find nothing, which I mean, I have to expect that they will. You get to point and laugh in their face, as I said before. Like, what in the sand hell are you doing, investigating me when you should be investigating Donald Trump and the people you are actually supposed to investigate about? Like, I don't get how Jill Stein really got dragged into this just because she'd won dinner meeting with the Russians concerning RT. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, so former Salt Lake City Mayor Rocky Anderson also attended the RT event in Moscow, the very same, and, um, um, he, he believes the investigation into Stein's campaign is shameful. Uh, somebody could have picked up the phone and asked her, did you have your way paid? Did you get anything of value out of this? Did you, they give you any of discretion, any instructions? Did they try to enlist, enlist you? Uh, Jeremy Scahill, Scahill did ask her, he's hosted podcast intercepted for the intercept. Uh, they didn't offer to pay me. Uh, she said, uh, sorry, here is the whole, here's the whole thing, uh, that she said, this was her entire answer. Um, let me just start with the mythology that the, that this was an intimate round table. There were 11 people at the table. I think only eight are shown in the picture because the angle is taken. But if you look closely, if you blow up the picture, you'll see there is a chair between Putin which was, and Michael Flynn, which was occupied by the head of RT. She happened to be introducing uh, Putin at that moment. Putin and I think three rather... Uh, strapping men kind of stormed in just before Putin was to give a speech, so they weren't really at the table for long, maybe five minutes, maybe 20 tops. Uh, nobody introduced anybody to anybody. There was no translator. The Russians spoke Russian. The four people who spoke English spoke English. There was a guy sitting next to Flynn named Cyril Savoboda, who's the prime, a deputy prime minister of the Czech Republic. He spoke three languages. Um, and 
what I read afterwards is he briefly translated between Flynn and Putin and then mounted to, hi, how you doing? Okay, that was it. And so that um, that was a great conversation. Nobody else talked to anyone across the language barriers I could see. I assumed that these were Putin's bodyguards who came in with him. It turns out there weren't his bodyguards. There was like chief of his staff in communication, but no one cared to make an introduction. There was introductions there this wasn't intended to be a discussion of any sort i spent the whole evening talking to the german former foreign minister sitting next to me willie wimmer and we had a very interesting conversation but i think this was the only substantive conversation that took place at that table and then putin stands up to give a speech skihill says yup and does he return to the table no then they walk out he was basically there to give the speech and this was not some kind of dinner meeting nobody ever met anyone there were I didn't hear any words exchanged between English speakers and Russia. So, that's pretty much it. There was some introductions made. There was some pleasantries. There wasn't really even some pleasantries uh, exchanged or actually introductions made that I actually read it. But it just seems so crazy. It seems so much of an overreaction that they are being dragged in on this. So, I mean, if it were me... I provided as much information as legally obligated of me to provide, and when they find nothing, point laugh in their face and say, what the hell are you doing? That's what I do. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's it for us today. Thank you so much for joining us. That's all the time we have. We'll see you tomorrow at 6 a.m. back at our normal time. It's News Flash.